Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by Derek Bell. He is leader of wellness and strategy at Ascension Employer Solutions. He's also a faculty member at University of Wisconsin's Stephen Point in their MBA program and at Mid-State Technical College. He's an award-winning soccer coach, and he also hosts the Highway to Well podcast. So many amazing things, uh, so many great accomplishments, really focused on wellness through and through. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Derek. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I have been excited to have a fireside chat here and for us to record it and talk about all the different um, ideas about wellness that we have and we can share and learn and grow and, and all the fun stuff that comes from conversations like this. Well, we're thrilled to have you and we'd love to start off with really talking about your career path. So where have you been? Where are you going? And what brought you to focus on wellness at work? Well, I like, I think a lot of people in the wellness field, I did not have a linear path to where I am today. And I'm absolutely grateful for that. But I, I think my, what really started and really kind of catapulted me to try to understand what I wanted my career to look like was about the midst of my second semester in law school and sitting in a final exam and just putting my head down and falling asleep for a couple hours, realizing that I really did not like the path that I was on. And so I, I had this massive amount of pressure as a, as a first generation college student in my family. And, and that, that I kind of, kind of found myself in this, in this uh, field that is supposed to be a tremendous achievement. And I didn't feel that. And I didn't feel like this, this was really the direction I wanted to go. And, and I had had a uh, professor at my undergraduate school, Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, who, when I, when I came to her and said, I wanted you, I want you to write me a letter of recommendation for law school. She laughed and said, I'm not going to do that. And I, and I said, but wait a second, you're supposed to be helping me and I'm going out into my career and I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm just asking you to write this letter for me. And, and God bless her heart. Jane Stengel said, okay, well, I will write you a letter of recommendation, but when, when it doesn't work out, just give me a call. And, and being 22, I was like, okay, well, whatever (laughs) this, she doesn't know. And I don't know, but I didn't think too much about it. And then as I got through this year of law school, I kept thinking that there wasn't, a single moment that I found fulfilling. And I, and I got past the part where that's supposed to be your normal part of your 1L law school process. And I just surrounded by people in, in an environment that I just didn't see a career path for me. So I, I kind of felt like I, I needed to make a decision for my own happiness. And so I decided to drop out and I called Jane up and said, you know, Jane, you were right. So what do I do now? And I started having these really wonderful career conversations with her and with another colleague that I'd had when I was, when I was in law school, um, another, another real strong mentor in my life was a director of the organization I was working for. And she was a, a lawyer, but she also had, after talking with her, she gave me really the confidence to say, I, I really don't need to do this. There's other things I can do. I wasn't quite sure what that meant yet. I hadn't coined it as as wellness, but I knew a couple things about myself. And one is that I, I grew up 
watching my parents kind of broken by their work and that their organizations didn't seem to care too much about them. They were just people doing jobs and their organizations were buying and selling off parts of the organization. And it just seemed very unsettled. And, and, and that was something that I never wanted to be a part of as much as I could control that. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't like just broken by my work. I wanted to thrive. I wanted my work to be something that I felt compelled to do something that mattered to me. So I, I made a promise that I would start going down a path where I would, I would try as my, uh, try my best to only work for organizations I didn't have to apologize for. So our output wasn't something that I felt bad about, that it needed to be something that made the world a better place. And that would give me an impact in people's lives at some level. And, and I found myself after moving to Wisconsin to go to graduate school, started working for the National Wellness Institute. And, and there is where I really found all these different things that I, I needed to fulfill my mind, my heart, and my soul as to what I wanted to do with my life in the big kind of picture way. And how could I develop a career path that led me down several different different paths to kind of the same theme. And so in, in after working there for a couple of years, I had this incredible opportunity to become the director there. Um, we had go, we were going through some staff turnover and, and I was an interim director for a short while and then was given the chance to lead the organization for a while. So I got to work hand in hand with the leaders in the wellness field. And at the time it was an incredibly difficult time for the organization because the industry was changing. And there were a lot of economic factors that were putting stresses on the organization. So I needed to pivot it to grow and become a, a stronger revenue generating organization. So I, I worked with leaders to try to look ahead and see what was going to happen in the field and how could we match some different um, programming and educational opportunities and build the National Wellness Conference to continue to be the central point of where all these crossroads kind of came through. And working, it was kind of like I had this opportunity to, to get a PhD kind of level education and wellness. And that helped me really grow as a person and a professional in the field. And it also has given me a chance to build a career team of people that I can rely on when I have questions about things, or if I need to do something within the scope of my work now, I, I, I have a, a great relationship with a lot of people that I can call in to help me learn more about the field. So as, as, so as I, I continue to work there, then I, I wanted to focus more on, instead of kind of broadcasting everything out in the field, I really wanted to take a step back and become a practitioner. And so I, I started working within the wellness field at work sites and organizations, because for me, like that took me back to what I saw in, in my, you know, in my home growing up and trying to build organizations that are that that allow us the opportunity to be uh, love our work but also that our organizations support us beyond just showing up that they are creating environments where we can thrive and grow and learn and so all these things kind of came together for me that just made complete sense in 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 a way so that is where that's more or less how i found my way to this field by being a law school dropout and going to the forest and figuring out where I needed to be. 
Well, we're really happy that you did because you've done such amazing work. Um, and you've been doing this for quite a while. And you mentioned that, you know, during the period of time that uh, you were, um, you know, heading the National Wellness Institute, that there was a lot of industry change going on. How do you think the industry has changed more recently? Um, and what do you see as kind of the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity for people who want to practice wellness at work currently? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because COVID <clears throat> has kind of accelerated our attention in a lot of areas that have always been there for us in the wellness field, but have been largely either absent or misunderstood, misguided, or just completely you know, overlooked in organizations. So you know, through our, you know, COVID ripped open the opportunity to really talk more about mental well-being, social connection, stress, and purpose. That to me, it, so having been in this field for over 20 years, that was really kind of taking us kind of in a full circle back to where the field actually started. And I, and I remember one of the one of the mythological stories about the early days of the National Wellness Conference here in Stevens Point, which at the time was unique and the only conference of its kind in the in the late 70s and early 80s. But there's this legendary story about Patch Adams coming to Stevens Point and he was expected to do a keynote. And first of all, no one knew whether or not he had actually arrived. And, and we didn't have the technology to know whether or not he actually had arrived. There was just an assumption that he would show up for his presentation. And so the, the, the leaders of the organization at the time, they tell the story how they just, they came to the site of the morning of his keynote without any knowledge of whether or not he was actually here because he had not checked in with anyone. And so they had started prepping another person to be ready just in case Patch is not here. And so he, well, what Patch had done is he had gotten in touch with the, the technical staff that were running the audio um, for, the, for the event. And he had had them help set up a rope that he tied from the front of the stage to the back of the arena without anyone knowing exactly what this rope was for. And so at the time he was about the time he was supposed to come on, he suddenly appeared and he walks out and he walks on this tightrope all the way down through like the middle of the crowd to the very end, gets off of it. And he starts talking about balance and he's talking about the need huh. for balance. And this was in the late seventies, you know? And so we think about what the critical issues we're talking about now, work-life integration, balance and harmony, our stress and anxiety and our purpose those were things that were clearly at the at the initial inception of the wellness field and so we've we've been we've kind of been weaving in and out of having those as part of our more or less our repertoire of, of ideas and, and things that we're sharing and trying to get into companies and individuals and organizations and we've been fighting this constant battle with trying to figure out how do we measure an ROI and what are we measuring for an ROI? Because the health cost containment strategy kind of took over our field in the organizational setting for a long period of time. And we tried to tie wellness to health cost containment. And then that leads to kind of changing the definition of what we're talking about when we talk about wellness. And so the field is 
it's diversified in its growth, but sometimes we find ourselves looping back to the very central components and tenets of what we started with. And so that's been something that I've been, been watching and been a part of for quite some time. And the other thing I, I think that creates to also for us some degree of, you know, what is really like our challenge and opportunity in all this. And I think the, the real critical thing, I think the one thing I would say most that I feel like we need to do now is to, to get wellness leaders to ascend in company leadership. And I think that's really where our biggest opportunity lies now, because that'll help us turn organizations and help us develop the proper definition. When we talk about wellness, what are we talking about? We're not just talking about prevention. We're just not, we're not just talking about flu clinics or, or cholesterol levels and containing health costs. We're talking about things that are more important and, and should be more embedded into those company cultures. So we can stop being sideshows and add-ons or checks, check boxes that companies just do, but that we infuse it through leadership structures. And, and that really, that needs to be wellness leaders doing that talk instead of letting other people from other fields kind of define and narrow what we talk about when we're talking about wellness. First of all, love that you have a Patch Adams story. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, but second, I really find it so fascinating that we've done this circle back to, you know, the basics and workplace wellness around work-life balance and things like that. Um, you know, in our field, like in IO psych, like that research has been going on for a really long time. So it's really interesting to see like what's been happening in the industry um, and how it's shifted and changed. And I completely agree with you that COVID has pushed people to really talk about some of this a little bit more and think about some of this a little bit more. Um, but in particular, I love your idea and your your opportunity of having wellness leaders coming into the organization to really help build this structure. And it reminds me a lot of what Katina and I often talk about when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion as well, which, you know, is, is a pillar to all of the, these different wellness concepts too, um, is having somebody in the, the organization that is, that has an expertise and knowledge and is at an executive or senior, senior leader level that can derive some of the change based on the experience and knowledge that they have and really make it core and central to the entire organization. Um, and I completely agree. Like the wellness side is a, a really important one to do the same thing. Cause if it's not there at the core, if we're not seeing good practices in terms of structure and culture, then no matter what other add-ons you add, it's not going to actually be truly addressed. So I really love that opportunity and that idea. That's a great one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is one of those situations where we find ourselves sometimes marginalized because of the organizational structure. So a lot of times your wellness program runs through your HR benefit plan. So it's really tied to health risk management and health cost containment and strategies to mitigate and manage disease. So then we end up talking about wellness as only prevention. Well, and then suddenly like something like COVID comes along and we find out that all of our employees are really stressed, but we weren't prepared for that because we'd spent all of our wellness energy looking at 
what it looks like under only our benefit plan because it was a side it was a it was off to the side in a silo and and to some degree that's explainable and okay because we do need to talk about containing costs and we need to manage healthcare and organizations ought to be responsible and helpful to their employees but that's that's only part of the picture and we haven't really gotten to the full part or for example, I know I've had a lot of conversations with companies over the past year about their mental well-being programming. And so historically, we've relied on EAP as our, as our cornerstone for that or organizational um, fulfillment of what is what we talk. When we talk about mental wellness, we kind of turn and look at EAP and say, okay, help. Well, in the big picture, EAP's utilization is fairly small. And at, at, at the large, you know, in company level, it's only about a two, two to three percent usage rate. And a lot of people don't self-refer or they also might not want to participate in EAP because it's still at the work site. And so a lot of a lot of people have really crisis level issues may not want to use that as their key, you know, key support system. We also just, you know, I, I think I should say, I don't want to say we discovered, but during COVID, the conversation was elevated that mental well-being is a lot more than just what EAP has typically been providing. And so companies are now under trying to wrap their hands around how can we provide better support pillars and mechanisms and structures and like a choice architecture that grows to include more help and support for stress, anxiety, and how can we build social connections? How can we build a more resilient workforce? So those conversations that we're having now are really wonderful, but it also shows how historically we've just been really negligent in, in that organizational framework on understanding really what wellness is about, because for the large part, wellness can fill that a lot of that gap between someone just maybe not feeling great, but we haven't, we are, our issues haven't elevated either internally, you know, or in the organizational setting to be something that's a crisis. So we don't, we don't really think much about using EAP, but we could definitely use some support. And that's where companies I think are learning more about the uh, kind of what the gaps are not quite sure yet how to fill those, but thankfully wellness is starting to be, viewed differently at a lot of those organizational levels in that way. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's really interesting to look at how organizations are focusing on more so now than, uh, you know, I don't know about maybe ever, uh, but uh, quite a bit on in terms of um, mental well-being and wellness overall, now that there's sort of this external push to focus. And so in a way, um, you know, there's been kind of a business case that's been made for wellness for a long time. And it's kind of taken maybe this like crisis event to push people towards thinking about wellness differently or having it more on their radar uh, because of the fact that uh, there's sort of this external and internal push to say, you know, we're, we're struggling, help us out. Um, so I think that's really fascinating. Um, I want to talk about an, uh, a, an analogy that you use a lot, which is that you talk about wellness being like a fork with four prongs. And I'd love to hear more about that, what you mean by that. And, um, and how did you land on these four prongs and why are they so important at work? Uh, well, that started with, I, 
I was working with one of the greatest people on the planet, um, Sean Foy, who has been um, a leader in the field for a while. And I, I worked with him on a couple projects and worked with um, him and, and the Wellcoa team on a Life on the Move program. And so he had asked me to, to put together a, kind of a personal, like a personal wellness initiative. And it was a, this kind of a five-week project of articles that I needed to put together to help people make a change. And, and I thought, you know, I kept, I kept thinking about when we talk about wellness, so how, how can we talk about it in a way that helps people understand that we've kind of moved beyond like your traditional six and seven dimensional models. And I'm very aware of, of that history by, by, you know, by being part of the National Wellness Institute and being an advocate for our six dimensions of wellness, but it always felt a little short-sighted to me because I couldn't, I couldn't connect my values to that in the way that I really wanted to. And then I, and then Ryan Piccarello and the group at Wellcoa a few years ago started working on more of a values-based idea of wellness, that it's wellness is more about our human needs and then also our values of like resiliency and strength and growth and all these things. And that started to make more sense to me, but I still felt like I wanted to figure out a way to really explain it. And so along that way, I was starting to think about what what are some ways that we can help people really think about their values and kind of their self, like a, a definition of their self, because that's where it all really starts for them. So I started doing this, this workshop where I would ask people to write down a set of values or start doing, sorry, start with a career map first. So they write down all these different arenas that they feel like are part of their life. So their work or their they're a writer or they're a engineer and then they're a parent and they're a husband and they're a coach and they're a community member. Just start mapping all this out and then write down what are, what does it take to be good at those? And then that leads to writing down like what you value most. And then I have them flip that sheet over and I ask them to draw themselves as an object um, and do a self portrait, but as an object, because if we think of ourselves as people and we ask, you know, if you ask anyone to draw a self portrait as a person, they just freak out and they don't want to do it because and none of us are Picasso's. So we can just get past the art side of it. So if you ask someone to draw themselves as an object, they start to think about what they do. And that to me is really where we need to spend time talking about wellness because wellness is a process. Wellness it is what we are, but it is also what we do. And how do we how do we export that in our life so that we feel fulfilled? And I so I started coming up with these like four actions for what I think wellness really is. And that's create, contribute, care, and connect. And so I needed to find I really I wanted to find an object that to me embodied all of that. And and just one day I started thinking about a fork having prongs and me being a coach too, and not, not only a wellness coach, but also a coach of youth sports and have done that for half my life, over half my life. I understand the, the opportunity to give back. So a fork is something that you can feed people with and it helps support communities and it helps you 
get energy and it helps you feel fulfilled and rewarded. And so all these things started kind of coming into this idea of a fork for me. So when I, when I did this workshop, I, I had historically been kind of stuck to like guitars and bridges. I'm a big fan of power chords and eighties hair metal. So I always start about <laughs> guitars and amps and, and, I, and, you know, and that's fun, but it didn't, there was still like a couple of components that are missing, you know? So I, and then I just landed on a fork in one of the workshops and it was a light bulb mo moment for me and shared it with the group that I was working with. And just, I feel like that, that's really, um, when we talk about wellness as a set of actions, create and contribute care and connect kind of, for me, do all of that. So, you know, we can celebrate our creativity and we're in our work. We're constantly in it. If we're in a creative mode, then we're usually tied and more engaged to that work that we're doing. And, and if we contribute, then we, we give back to others, whether that's through something like this, like a podcast, or whether that's as a coach or a mentor, or just being part of your community. And care is always part of the, our wellness ideas, really, no matter what, whether that's caring for others, showing empathy, compassion, but also our ability to develop self-care practices. And then last, connecting to people is, is obviously, a, a, we can talk at length about the value of connections. Um, so those to me wrapped everything up into a, basically a fork. I love the, th the four C's that you have like in your fork. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that the, the creativity of having, um, create <laughs> as one of them. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was funny, but, um, having the four C's too is very creative so that you have everything kind of flows really nicely, but I think it all makes a lot of sense. And, uh, how has that gone for you as you've shared, this fork with the the leaders and things as you've moved forward after this analogy like i i like it <laughs> you're a little bit about what the what the reaction's been when you talk about it that way well it's been really one it, the whole process like it, when i've done it i it's always been this really eye-opening process for people and we always try to you know our job in you know in a lot of fields but in wellness is and especially lately as we've been really trying to get people to connect to their why and connect to their purpose because we know the research behind that proves that they're they live more engaged healthier lives and even with disease um, that sometimes we can't prevent we have a we have a we have a more fulfilling experience and we start to develop ideas about how to live a well life and and that, that was something I also learned too through the National Wellness Institute and hearing some incredible presenters who had been battling breast cancer um, through their life and then coming in and learning how to do dragon boat races in, in spite of their cancer diagnosis so that they could have some fulfilling experiences with what life they had left. And as a younger person looking ahead, thinking that's just amazing to me and that's really important and critical to how I see the world. So so doing a process where I can get people to, to talk about what they really value. And it, that to me is really what, what we should be doing is to get people to talk about values. And, and, and this type of process is really works well. So one of the jobs that I've had to do is to be um, our, because I'm one of the few males in the wellness field and, and where I am, I typically get asked to do men's health presentations and then, so when I've asked companies before, well, what do you want me to talk about? It's usually, well, tell them all the numbers and things. Well, 
we know this is why men don't seek healthcare is because numbers don't mean much to them. But if I can get them to draw themselves as an object and, and I've had some really cool uh, presentation or when I've been doing this in a presentation format is to have guys draw themselves as like a hammer, but talk about how significant and important it is for them to be building things for other people. And to get to that point of knowing what you're really, what really makes you happy, it's unbelievable what you can get people to talk about if you give them a vehicle to do that. So that for me was a fulfillment of this whole process. So talking about it makes it easier, but I also think it connects with people in a way that historically we've been very poor at in the wellness field where we think we need to tell people what to do or we need to direct them to what risk levels they have after they do an HRA. And I mean, that, that information is important, but that's not what's going to make someone change their behavior. And it also fulfills a long, <laughs> a long uh, dream for me because I, when I went to college, I went to college on an art scholarship, but I didn't have to major. In art. <laughs> so I've always had a creative part of me that's kind of like deep down inside and I keep it hidden often but every once in a while I can pull it out and then you know draw a fork and and show my dad that uh art is important (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing um I I really like that and I and I really like the idea of you know putting people outside of their comfort zone really to think about things that they think they know what the narrative is but helping them to see things in a different light which I think is what your activity does it kind of jolts people out of their normal and asks them to look at something a little bit differently and then opens their mind to sort of expanding around why a topic that they thought might not be relevant to them uh might be more relevant than they thought so I really like that a lot yeah um it's it's fun to see what they it's it's also you know, when you ask them, if you draw a face, everyone's going to be so focused on how poorly they draw noses and eyes, you know, and things like that. So it gives them a chance to just draw something poorly, but really talk about the expressive need to share something too. And and, and it's led to some people talking about really difficult things that they didn't, they weren't really ready to talk about, but it, they want to. And so they they draw something that was meaningful from someone that they lost or a place that they used to go as kids. And so it, it, it adds an element of trust in the setting. It creates a connection that wouldn't have otherwise been there. And those are two really critical things for me to build as, as someone who's leading people down a wellness path. So it's just been an absolutely wonderful activity to do. I love that. And I think, you know, it, it, uh, to shift a little bit into, um, you personally, it seems like you gather, and I can tell your passion in talking about it. Um, it seems that you gather a lot of inspiration by moving people to think uh, differently about these ideas. Um, what sorts of things do inspire you? Is it that or other sorts of things as you continue promoting wellness at work? And how do you manage to take care of yourself in all this work <laughs> that you're doing? Um, sometimes I, I don't know how well I take care of myself. Um, I, I, I don't say no a lot. So I, I, a couple of my friends have gotten me involved in doing some ultra marathoning and I'm not, I'm not sold on whether or not that's a smart idea for me, but it does fit in. So I think that I really think that, that helping people also sometimes, you know, for us in the wellness field, and this, this is something that I care about in my coaching as well is, 
sometimes we just have to pick up the mantle for what should be and move in that direction. And so there may be like a barrier or a wall that we've always bumped up against. And we thought, well, we can't do that because we're wellness. We can't. And then I don't see barriers, right? I'm, I'm very bad at following rules. So I'm willing to say, well, we should be talking about this. And, and this is really actually what wellness is. Or, or like in my soccer coaching is to create a whole program and, and utilize a program based on respect, integrity, and nonviolence and teach that to high schoolers because outside of the classroom you know, or outside of my environment, I'm not sure where they're getting any kind of information that teaches them how to be good people. You know, so there's just some things that I, I, I try to, I try to constantly break down walls in every arena I can, because to me, there is no either or proposition in life period. It's always a matter of various stages of grays and we're moving along a continuum and our wellness is like that. So, um, for me, that's, that's critical in how I view my work is to, is to try to get involved in arenas that maybe that hadn't, had that's, that wasn't discussions that we were having, but we should, and I don't mind carrying those and, and moving in that capacity. And, you know, for me, managing my own wellness, I, uh, I think that, and this is, I, you know, I'm, I'm a strong advocate of creativity, going back to that wellness fork. I mean, there's some part of that that's in there. So being present, being creative, making sure I'm contributing, all those things are really critical. And, and I try to do those as part of my normal daily life. But I do, I do you, so, and I talk about this a lot. I mean, exercise for me is far more of a mental relief and a special place for me than it than it's ever been a physical one and so I love the physical exertion or attempting a 50 miler and things like that but I don't attempt a 50 miler necessarily to see how fast I can do it I want to endure it and spend some time in my brain and try to think about a lot of really cool stuff <laughs> um, and I also find bluegrass is pretty helpful to get you through stages of races and and things like that so i and i'm i think i i try to learn a lot from other from others in the field and a good friend of mine maggie goff who's at, at well Cohen now we have talked a lot and and i've learned a lot about the utilization and really the value in micro moments from her and i'd already been talking and thinking about it but i hadn't coined it as a micro moment and so for me, micro moments are how I get through every day, whether that's with my my family, um, with the teams I'm coaching. If I can get, you know, like at Ascension, get leadership and development to create a wellness tab on their page, that excites me because that means that, that we're moving things in a direction that makes the world a better place. And I don't know answered your question but yeah <laughs> I had a lot of thoughts on you did. that no I thought I think everything you've said has been um very motivating like you're clearly really passionate about this and so are we and so I feel like just hearing you talk about it I'm like all right let's keep going yeah. we're, doing, we're doing it we're doing the thing um you're also probably the first person I have ever heard say that they want to run 50 miles to be in their head <laughs> that <laughs> 
See? Like most people are like, I'm trying to get through it and I can't think because that's the harder part. So good for you. That is not me. Um, but I totally get how the exercise piece can very be a very big mental release. So I think that's a good call out for a lot of folks. Um, but we're at the time where we want to start wrapping things up a little bit. Sure. And so I want to make sure that we give you some space to tell us anything else about yourself, your work, um, or wellness at work that we haven't covered today. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about, you know, in a way that how this, how this all like ties together. And, and then, I think, you know, we had talked a little bit about previously about, you know, something that maybe I've learned from coaching and that I could use at work. And I, I think there's, there's a short story, you know, I think ultimately what I learned from my soccer coaching that I've been able to translate into my professional work is, is to always remember that we're, we're more than performance specialists, that we're actually memory makers. And if we can view our work in that way, then we can start to get to the fulfillment of when we say we have people, people centered cultures or people centered work sites. Sometimes we use that language and we don't really have people centered work sites. We have maybe a couple benefits in our plan that are great and people love it, but we're not really people focused. And so and that's something I learned in my coaching because I, I really, when I started coaching and, and I've been a high school, a head coach at a high school for more than 20 years and coached at the college level. So I've been involved in some pretty competitive and high level environments. And I, early on in my career, I saw myself really as a performance specialist. And I thought my tactics and my technical training had to be bigger than, you know, more important than anything else. And that's how we win is because we're performing better with thinking only about making practices harder or more complex to mold their minds into being smarter. And I, and I had a player who's now coaching college soccer and has been a college coach and is just absolutely one of the most, uh, one of the best college coaches that I know. He played high school soccer for me and, and we were traveling to a game and we had had a string of a couple poor poor games. And I was really on the guys about their performance. I thought they weren't performing well. I was making practices harder. And he finally, he had the guts as a, as a, as a senior in high school to come up to me on the bus and ask if he could talk to me. And of course I was defensive. I was like, Oh, come on. Like I figured it was going to be some, he was going to level some complaint at me, but he actually just sat down and said, coach, we need to talk. The guys aren't feeling well. And I think, you know, part of me was like, well, I wouldn't feel well either. We've been losing and not playing well. And he's like, no, how would you think about it? What would you think about it this way? What if I showed up at work tomorrow and stood behind you and just complained about everything that you were doing? Like, no, don't touch, don't use the T there. Or no, you didn't capitalize that correctly. And he's like, that's what it feels like lately. And I thought, how incredible at the time I was just taken aback and it took me a couple of while, it took me a couple of days to kind of digest that, but that changed me as a person and as a coach. And I couldn't be more grateful for him having the guts to come tell me what was really happening. And it allowed me that opportunity to either blow it off and be the same kind of jerk I was being or 
understand I need to take a step back and rethink how I'm going about this because it is all about the empowerment of others. And that's really what we're doing. So that's why I say we're more than just performance specialists. Like we need to know the technical stuff, but what we really need to focus in on is what are we making memories about? Because the memories are what people attach themselves to. And that's what helps them make actual change and live a happy life. I love that story so much. Um, and what a, and what a great, um, note for us all to make that lessons that are important can come from anywhere, right? Exactly. Places you're not thinking, places you're not looking. Um, and just a great reminder that, you know, inspiring people to proactively do, do the right thing instead of just not do the wrong thing is uh, a really great way to keep people motivated towards getting better every day. Um, so I love that. We usually ask a final fun question, but your fun question, your fun question was about what lesson you learned from coaching and you just told that. So I have a new fun question for you, Excellent. which is what TV show has been sustaining you over the course of the pandemic? And is it Ted Lasso? <laughs> oh. <laughs> you know, Ted, Ted Lasso, he, he's been my spirit animal since 2013. So a lot of people, yep. I, I love that Ted Lasso is getting all the well-deserved attention and he is by far the best advocate for soccer that we've ever had. So I appreciate that. But, but I would also tell anyone who loves Ted Lasso is to pull up on YouTube, his early commercials for NBC sports when they first got the premier league contract because those are absolutely hilarious. And so all of my soccer friends, we, we've been in love with Ted Lasso since 2013. So we're applauding, That's awesome. we're applauding that everyone is caught up to, to the brilliance of what this man brings to our lives. So, um, <laughs> Yay. Yeah. So, I mean, by all means, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso is absolutely amazing, you know, but, but I will say what, what is, also been keeping me going is and this is this is uh i don't know really where to put this yet so we may need to talk about this at another time but i love falling asleep to dateline and i can't understand (laughs) i don't understand why but my, my wife and i will watch it and it and is so in the tragedy of what we're watching i think it's the 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 cadence and the interview as they're talking about things, yeah. the, the voice, it just, it, it's like a blanket and it just like comforts me enough where, <laughs> where I was, I sleep very comfortably if I, if I have a dateline before bed. Well, I have a cousin that <laughs> sleeps to dateline as well. So you're on to something. There's a thing. There's a thing there. There is a thing. There is a thing. I haven't, I haven't sorted it all out because you're on the, on the face of it, you're thinking this is absolutely horrible. Yes. There's something comforting about the production of it that I'm sure some NPR will probably do a study on it at some time. Some research (laughs) and we'll learn that it's actually all about like the intonation of the, of, of the people that are doing the interviews and doing the narration to the show. That's, I, I just don't even have a reaction. I'm surprised that Katina has another example of this, but you know, whatever works. <laughs> I listen to, you know, like ocean sounds, 
You listen to Dateline. <laughs> to each their own. Wellness is not a one size fits all, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then I, I sometimes I'll cap it off with some Colbert. So he's been he's been there we go. He's been very comforting to me over the past couple of years as well. For a lot of reasons. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Well, thank you so much, Derek, for joining us today. Really appreciate having you and having an opportunity to hear all about your experience, your fork, your thinking while running 50 miles, uh, dateline obsession. <laughs> really appreciate it. It's been very fun. And we hope uh, our listeners have enjoyed it as well. So we'll make sure we put everything in the show notes uh, that you've talked about, links to you so people can find you. Um, anything you want to call out specifically where they can find you, like as your top choice um, before we put in those links? Yeah, thank you. I, I think all the my podcasts are all on Spotify, available on Spotify, Highway to Well with Derek Bell. So um, that those are great. And um, I'm on Instagram as Derek Bell Wellness. So there's links there to some of the ideas and work. And, and you'll find some soccer coaching journals there. So all of you who are <laughs> sports enthusiasts that you might find a couple, a couple posts there about coaching as well. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you again for being here. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. We had a great time talking to Derek today and hope you did too. Um, you can find more information about Derek on his website, DerekBellWellness.com. And again, he also has a podcast called Highway to Well with Derek Bell. Uh, love the rhyme. <laughs> so go ahead and check him out and his, his show. It's a great listen as well. Um, and as always, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or any thoughts about the episode, we'd love to hear them. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media at workerbeing on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And as always, if you like what you heard, please share with someone else that might benefit. Subscribe and review our show. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabarek and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.